welcome to series two of the Learning and Development Challenges podcast. Adam here once again as your guide. In this series, we're looking at how to better engage frontline or deskless workers with learning. And today we're talking with Stephen Melicia, Head of Learning and Development at Sterling Ackroyd. Stephen is an experienced D&D manager, performance coach, trainer, project and financial and people manager. As a values-based leader, Stephen promotes and influence a learning and development culture within Sterling Acroy Group and is passionate about empowering everyone to develop through training, coaching, or mentoring. He believes in personal growth, achievement, inspiration, and challenge. Stephen, it is a real pleasure to have you join us today. Thanks for being here. Thanks for inviting me, Adam, and uh, looking forward to it. Great. Cool. Well, let's let's start, as, as I always like to, with the context question. So can you tell us a little bit about Sterling Ackroyd for those who maybe haven't heard about the business and, and about your role there as well, where you fit into it? Absolutely. Would love to. Thank you. So Sterling Ackroyd is a London and home counties based uh, property company. Um, we do lettings, we do residential sales, we do commercial as well as new homes. And we also have a nationwide surveying business. We've been uh, around surprisingly since 1873. And um, we started back in Chiswick, our very first auction house and surveying business. But London is in the blood of Sterling Ackroyd. I was lucky enough to join the company back in May 21. So I've been here for just two and a half, nearly two and a half years. And I've been leading the learning development arm of the whole group since then. It's been an absolute blast and I love what I do here. Fantastic. So in terms of your responsibility, you oversee all elements. So from agents on the ground to back office functions, the, the, the whole lot. Literally everything, whether you're a surveyor in our business, whether you're a Saturday assistant in an office, whether you're an accountant in our finance team, to some degree, learning development will assist you in your progression throughout the company in terms of digital learning for your compliance all the way through to face development. Brilliant. Cool. So let's talk first about that group that, that which we're focusing on in, in this series. So that frontline group, if you like. And I, I don't want to use the word deskless because I think pretty much everyone in your business will have access to a laptop or a desk or a phone or something at some point. So slightly different, but very much you have groups of people who are dealing with customers and things like that. And then back office support, is that correct? Absolutely. So we have, you know, a large portion of our uh, colleagues based in our offices, our 32 offices around London and the home counties. And then we have central hubs and a head office where we have a number of our support staff, things like finance, HR, property management, those sort of things. We are on a current drive to, by the end of the year to get rid of PC desks uh, or desktop PCs, as they're called, completely and issue everybody with laptops just okay. to support both, as you would call the deskless frontline, but also to support our hybrid working because we have a lot of our support staff who work hybridly. Cool, cool, brilliant. So your technology move there. What's your current approach to the frontline staff? What does their training look like? What kind of programs do you have in place at the moment? Great. Thanks for asking the question. So, I mean, it, if we take them from day one, so if we hire a frontline consultant or even a frontline uh, office manager, they have a very structured induction program. That induction program we call the Sterling Ackroyd Performance Academy, and that is tailored to each individual. So if I'm a sales consultant, I'll come in and I have a dedicated induction plan. Uh, and we issue that before they start. They get that in a welcome email the week before they start with us on the Monday so that they can actually see and have a sense of that there is a plan for them. because. We We've all been there. Day one, you're a little bit nervous, a little bit anxious, but also a little bit excited. And it's actually quite nice. We And the feedback we get supports this. The people actually would like to know what day one, week one, even up to the first six months is going to look like and that there is an actual plan in place for them. So that's very tailored to each individual role. Then they come on board and, you know, a frontline member of staff will have a number of webinars with myself and with a subject matter expert, the group performance director, which just helps them to understand what their key roles are. Uh, a lot of our frontline staff will access that via their laptop. Some will access it via their mobile phones because we do it all via Microsoft Teams. So they can, if they are running between an appointment, they still have access to, you know, the webinars. And we keep them nice and tight and they never last more than an hour because, you know, 
studies have shown that people's attention spans wander. I think there was one done in America a couple of years ago, just before COVID, that for the educational system that found that children now have a 20 minute attention span and the children of today are the workers of tomorrow. So we need to you know, constantly evolve. And then after the webinars, we understand that 75% of what you learn in, your, in a new role is from your colleagues and from your manager. A central function like ours can only give about 25% of that support, but we then support them through that. And we also have done a lot of work supporting our management population of about 61 managers across the business so that they understand the importance of induction, of that first day, that first week, that experience, because that's why people will stay. You know, you don't want to be one of those companies that has a high turnover of people that don't make it to probation after six months. And then what we've introduced for this year, which is quite new, is we then pull them out for three days face-to-face training after about three months. So they come in, they have intensive support from their manager and from ourselves as a central L&D function. They then get used to the job, start doing the job, shadow and observe their colleagues going out on viewings, doing market appraisals, take, dealing with telephone calls, internet registrations, all that sort of thing. And then we pull them out for three days away from the office, away from their, you know, their colleagues. And we actually just go through some of that initial training again, make sure they've not picked up any bad habits, give them some additional new information to make them more successful, answer queries that they may have. It's a really open environment. And you know, we've run that three times th- through this year. And it's amazing some of the questions that get asked. I work, as I said, very closely with the group performance director and the two of us, we make a safe environment and the questions that get asked and their answers we're able to give you know really do help people to then go back with a renewed confidence to be successful in their role so i'm hoping that gives a sense that we do support our you know front office colleagues that come into the business regardless whether they've got experience or whether they've come into the property industry without experience because our industry is quite unique into a certain ways where it attracts both. So you'll get people that go on the merry-go-round between different companies within property. It's quite incestuous. People will jump. But you also get a lot of people, you know, straight out of university or people that have done other careers that are looking for something else that will come to the property industry. Because it's one of those, you know, unique sectors where you need to have no qualification. You need to have no pre-existing experience. You can come in and you can actually be very successful if you've got the right, you know, attitude, the right mindset. Yeah, I really like that three-day session after three months. I've not heard of that, anyone taking that type of approach before. Is that a, like a cohort-based thing? So you're talking about getting a group of people together who have yes. been in the business a little while. So there's a social element to it as well. Absolutely. And they do enjoy that because, of course, we, we, we have two intakes a month on the first and the third Monday of every month. That. But it could be one person joining. You, you could be one of 10 people joining. And even if you're one of 10 you might be the only lettings consultant that's in that 10. The others might be accountants or surveyors or property managers. So actually, it's very difficult to get that sense of we're all in this together because we can only hire what we can hire on the release dates that people have. So it's very hard to you know make it into a cohort of learners. But by pulling the people out after sort of 10 to 12 weeks, and they're all consultants, whether they're sales or lettings, what they find is that very example of what you're talking about, they've got a shared experience. They've all been through similar situations, similar nerves, getting their first deal, having their first fall through, all those sorts of things. So they have that innate togetherness. And the reason why I selected to do it at sort of the three-month point is because when you first start a role, you're bombarded with e-learning, you're bombarded with new things, your manager's telling you to do this, your colleagues are telling you to do that. And actually, in my experience, a lot of people forget a lot of things that they learn in the first few weeks. So I took the, the view that if we pull them out after three months, they'll have had enough time to get settled, they've had enough time to start to learn the majority of what they do. But actually, it's the right and it's very difficult to judge exactly, but it's the right tipping point before too many bad habits have been ingrained. So actually we can pull it back, but also support the gr- the great stuff that they have done. I was going to say habits. Yeah, you're kind of, you're catching them just before any possible bad habits or wrong ways of doing things set in, aren't you? Also, I think it's a really interesting, talked about this on various podcasts we've done in the past, but like it, it's a, that's a really nice reflection point, three months. Because after three months, if you can, come back and have a psychologically safe conversation with people in senior positions at the company, but also your kind of cohort, the people that you joined with. That's really interesting because that will, that will definitely, you know, a help build those relationships, but allows for 
you to step back and I think the first three, six months of any role is always frazzling, isn't it, for a lot of people because there's so much new stuff to learn and a, a new organization to navigate and all that kind of stuff. So allowing that reflection point as well as a, as well as a kind of opportunity to catch anything, to remind people of the various policies, initiatives, things that are available to them is, yeah, is really smart. It's also a really good acid test of our line managers as well. We, we don't do this to catch anybody out. But, you know, if we've asked in the induction plan that you take your new consultant out and let them observe you do a market appraisal and they've signed to say that's happened. And we ask the question in that section of the three days, you know, what did you learn when you went out with your manager? And they look at you blankly and go, I've never been out with my manager then that gives, you know, it's an element of feedback where we can then, you know, take that and deliver some feedback to the line manager. So, you know, we don't, it's not there to catch out, but also, you know, our people are our most valuable asset. So we want to make sure they get that great induction experience. And at three months, as you say, we can pick up and, you know, deal with any issues and still have give them time to be the best they can be before they have their six month probation review. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with a bit of accountability as well. I think if everybody is aware of it also, then it's going to, because as a manager, you might just be absolutely slammed and, you know, taking someone out on the appraisal is the one thing you forget. But if you know that it's going to potentially come up in the future, you're like, okay, I will prioritize this, make time for it, et cetera. So then reinforces the importance, like you say, of that onboarding process and, and ensuring that everyone is on a really good kind of journey into the organization. Yeah, absolutely. Fantastic. This podcast is brought to you by AssembleU, the audio learning experts. Adam here, co-founder of AssembleU. We launched AssembleU in 2022 after finding we were doing a lot of our own personal development using podcasts and audiobooks. We loved audio as a format and wanted to combine the convenience of listening to something with outcome-driven learning that had a real impact. The result is a power skills library of more than 130 succinct audio lessons that do the heavy lifting for the listener. AssembleU lessons help coach listeners through critical topics like leadership, mental health, well-being, productivity, growth, sustainability, and communication. Each AssembleU audio lesson is around 10 minutes long and backed by research and real-life expertise. Every lesson includes a key point infographic, a further reading list, and testing. Listen to some free samples or find out more about how AssembleU can support your organization to build an internal podcast for learning by visiting assembleu.com. So after that onboarding piece, you know, what is there anything else in particular in place for for your kind of frontline workers? And I guess this kind of leads on to my next question a little bit. What's the split of digital versus in person for that for that ongoing piece? Great. I mean, there's two two questions there. I'll deal with the split and then I'll deal with what else there is. So we took a conscious decision. So in COVID, prior to my joining the company, there was a real push towards e you know, towards e-learning and remote because it had to be. And I'm, you know, I'm sure Sterling Ackroyd were no different to any other business. You know, there was a, that was a desperate scrabble to, you know, find as much e- e-learning content as you can to keep your people engaged, keep your people trained. When I joined, I tried to tailor that back because, you know, just putting somebody in front of a screen when they are activists and they want to be out there selling or they want to be dealing with their portfolios if they're a property manager or their spreadsheets if they're an accountant, sitting them in front of a screen all the time doesn't appeal to everybody, you know whether there's three or four or five different learning types, I mean, the common ones are the visual, the auditory and the kinesthetic, you know, people like to do. So I believe that e-learning does lend itself or digital lends itself for compliance. We have got a project at the moment where we're trying to rewrite a lot of that to make it more engaging. But, you know, it does have its place and it is extremely useful because it's somebody can dip in there, they can access it through their laptop, access it through their mobile phone and get on and do it whenever they want and stop and start. And that's, it's great. What I found, and I I don't know whether um, we spoke about this when we've met, was that 
I've come across in a, when I speak to other industry experts, there's a, a thought process that our younger workers, so our Gen Zs, are the sort of that will absolutely will prefer digital learning to the traditional face-to-face and that sort of thing. Yet I'm finding the opposite, especially post-COVID, that a lot of our younger workers, and we do employ a lot of young workers straight out of university uh, and straight out of colleges and the like, who actually were starved of that you know, in-person experience throughout COVID. And actually now they're in the workforce, they crave being invited into, you know, a, a safe learning environment where their voice can be heard and where they can actually be treated as an equal and actually can be given information which they find beneficial to their role or to their personal growth. And that has, for me, is great because I love being in a classroom with people. I don't think you can beat it. I, I like writing material for digital, but it doesn't, for me, give the same buzz and the same excitement as having people in the classroom. But there are some caveats to that. And I, and I think we'll probably talk about that later on in terms of top tips. But I think it's about knowing your audience and being able to tailor, whether it's digital, whether it's blended or whether it's traditional face to face, you have to tailor it to your audience. And long gone are the days where, you know, I'd stand up for two or three days delivering a training session on one topic. That's not the market we're in anymore. Very much. It has to be, you know, bite size. It has to be tailored and it has to, you know, really hit the learning objective. And the learning objectives need to be, in my opinion, quite simple if you're going to make it smaller and in time and experience, but we'll, I'm sure we'll get onto that later. But in terms of split, if you wanted me to split it, I would say we're probably looking at 30%, maybe even less digital. And the rest is probably either a webinar-based live interaction yeah, um, yeah. or face-to-face. D- digital, but live digital. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Or face-to-face. Yeah. Cool. That's fascinating about the, your younger colleagues coming in and craving the face-to-face experience. But if you think about maybe quite a few of their university or graduate experiences may have all been digital and they went from this you know what was probably a really interesting in-person environment academically speaking to having to consume everything digital i'm not surprised that this kind of come full circle and they you know they're craving that to the social element of learning being able to bounce ideas off off each other and ask questions in real time all that kind of stuff which you which you obviously get with live online or in person And I think we started to see some of that, Adam, where, you know, people were working hybridly and they were using things like WhatsApp or they were using things like the Teams chat function because they wanted to have that I want to ask you a question and I need a, almost an instant response, which they would have got if they'd been sat side by side to somebody in an office environment. But that's very hard to replicate. It's not impossible because we've tried to do it, but it's a different experience when people are hybrid or when people are not, you know, always desk-based. Yeah, brilliant. So going back to any other bits of learning outside of onboarding for those frontline, is there a regular kind of check-ins? Is it very much a self-serve approach after they get past the first three to six months? Or, you know, is there a, a break of formal versus informal there? So I, I saw that because, you know, you had your mandatory and optional as one of the questions that we were going to speak about. Oh, yeah, um, we'll bring it in now. <laughs> let's do it. So for me, mandatory, I sort of read as, as compliance. So I would say that takes up about 15% because, you know, all industries are regulated. Property is no different. So we have our anti-money laundering. We have our information security. We have our GDPR, all those fun things that we all, you know, love to do every 12 months. But they are important. Just a tip, just something I always find on those is, they need to be regularly updated because if people know they're going to come every 12 months and it's exactly the same, if it looks the same, if it's got the same content, you need to do something to update it so that it catches people or else they just it just becomes white noise and you're not actually achieving anything. So actually what you're trying to achieve is that people remain compliant for another 12 months and that they rather you're not just ticking a box to say that the X number of your workforce have, have seen it because that doesn't help you. If they see it and then don't do what it's telling them to do, you're going to become uncompliant. So I think that's quite key with that. Optional, I would say we don't have a large pick and mix. We have lots of material that we've created here at Sterling Accurate Group, but we don't, it's not particularly optional as in self-serve. What we do vastly, and it's probably around three quarters, is we are driven by the business. 
I don't believe learning and development should be something that dictates the agenda in terms of you will learn this. I see myself as working in partnership and collaboratively with my key stakeholders and the key stakeholders are the operational side of the business. So I work with the board of directors, I work with the next level down, the group leadership team, and we discuss you know, what training objectives or what training plans need to be delivered in the upcoming quarter, half year, and I'm even looking into next year now. So we're looking sort of you know, half year, a year ahead which have started to do in the last two years since I joined is to get people to nominate what they would like to learn. So we do something called the branch manager initiatives. So where a branch manager will sit down with their team and they will sit down with their regional directors in their performance development reviews every six months and say, what is it you would like to learn over the next year? And then that gets fed back up into from the regional directors to me. And I sit down with the regional directors and we go, okay, so we've got these 12 topics that have come out of your performance development reviews with your teams. Which three do we feel would benefit the business and the individuals? And we pick three and they then get delivered over that coming year. So we miss Q1 because Q1's busy with getting things set up for the year and everything. And then Q2, Q3 and Q4, we deliver an, an initiative to that population. But I, I don't then just take it on myself. I work with the regional directors and we deliver it you know, collaboratively. So it'll be me and a, one or two regional directors that will deliver it. And there'll be different ones each quarter. So the business has got a stake in the game. So the business has said, we want this. The business and I write the content and the business and I then deliver the content. So that very much is complete buy-in. So optional, not a huge thing for us. But what I do feel we do is we listen to the business and we deliver what the business and the individuals within that business are asking for. Brilliant. And that delivery, again, is that a, a blend? Are you doing some face-to-face, some digital with that? Or is it mostly you know live online? How do you... A lot of it is live in terms of getting people together either for a day or for a half day regardless depending on the topic but we may also there may be some quick wins where we might decide to go down a digital route so there was information security the director of information security came to me recently and wanted to do something short and sharp in a training session and actually when I sat down and talked it through in a scoping meeting and we filled out one of my scoping documents I actually said to him this is probably best done via an e-learning module, but we're going to do something different, something new and innovative with it to make it more engaging. And actually, the feedback on that has been great, that people did think that it lended itself. And if you think about it, information technology, digital, it probably is quite a nice synergy. Makes sense. Yeah. Big time. (laughs) Fantastic. Cool. That's really interesting. And I really love that. And I heard this actually from quite a few of the interviews, but the whole listen to the business, you know, what is the business saying? And I love that then marrying it up with maybe corporate organizational objectives, you know, so what's coming from the top down, what's coming from the bottom up, creating the magic in the middle and helping enable both of those kind of visions is what I'm seeing there. Absolutely. And, and sometimes it's not a one size fits all. So if I take our letting support business, so our letting support business is about 81 colleagues, you know, and they deal with property managers, they deal with tenancy managers, moving manage- management teams, renewal specialists, those sort of things. So in quarter two, there was an initiative that was driven there, which was very much around everybody you know how can we get everybody involved let's get everybody together and let's treat everybody as one group and all staff are invited to attend and learn from that training intervention whereas the quarter three which we're doing tomorrow is just going to be the senior leadership team within the letting support business so it'll be you know 12 colleagues who run that element of our business we're taking them out for half a day and we're going to you know have a workshop around how they can drive team high team performance uh, within their teams and really making it a workshop so there will be a little bit of tell about certain things that in concepts they can take on board but actually we want them to bring you know their data we want them to bring their performance reviews and actually help them so that by the end of the workshop they are equipped to go back and drive a high performance within their teams by using live examples which is their teams as they are at the moment rather than just giving them all theory and then saying right off you go away and do it we're actually going to give them theory and actually going to implement it in the workshop with an individual within their teams and they're going to they're going to drive that so it's their teams it's their individual and we, we built it so that it's step by step how they can actually have that conversation to drive that performance brilliant yeah so you're very much catering the, the training and the delivery around the needs of the different business units or the problem that you're trying to solve basically and i think you know when you're talking about high performance then 
that's got to come from the people in those positions that can drive it. So you facilitate and they do their own enablement versus some of the other topics might be a bit more instructive because they need to be for whatever reason or someone more junior is involved, that, that, sort, of, that sort of thing. Absolutely. And, you know, the, the quarter two that was inv involved everybody in letting support was just, it was about legislation. It's not the most sexiest of topics, you know. So I had to do something that was different because, I, you know, as soon as I put in the title of the training, you've been invited to legislation training. Everyone, because I asked them the question at the end of the training, everyone said, I said to everyone, you know, what did you think of the training? He said, well, we were dreading it when we came in because he had legislation. But what I did to make it interesting is I made it a quiz. So, you know, I got some cheap animal buzzers from Amazon. They split them up into teams. They set themselves up with team names and we would give them a quiz, ask them some questions, find out how they got on and then give them a bit of learning and then do another round of quizzes and then another bit of learning. People, especially, you know, in, in, in any sales industry, they get competitive. Yeah, and we had competitive. A, had a prize and everything and the funny buzzer noises made, you know, made it all a bit funny and everything. But learning happened because, you know, if people are trying to, be competitive they want to know what the answers are so if, and then they'd start disagreeing and we'd have you know that then sparks debate but you know any you say to anybody i want you to come for you know three hours on legislation or compliance training their hearts will sink but you know when they go out of there and they say how much fun it is and it's funny how you have that snowball effect that social interaction so once the first couple of groups have been through it and they start talking to their colleagues then the other people start going oh is this the one with the funny buzzers and the sweets yeah. <laughs> You'll have to uh, advertise it as a game show next time. Might get more uh, more excitement before they walk in the room. I'll have to get myself a gold lame jacket. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah, kind of, you know, yeah, but Butlin's heyday type. Uh, <laughs> type <laughs> Fantastic. So what's working, Stephen? What is, what's going well at the moment within learning development? What were, out of these things we've talked about, what would you point at and say, yeah, you know what? I'm really proud of that. That's really taking off. So this time last year, I wanted to change uh, our approach well change is perhaps too strong a word i wanted to amend it and you know get a bit braver a bit bolder so i put a package together which i called the sterling Ackroyd colleague development journey and the idea was that we would have we take bits that we were already doing well so we know that our induction is working well because we get i run focus groups i do anonymous feedback surveys and i get loads of great data points from all of that tells me how things are going so i know what was working i listen to the feedback so it's one thing receiving the feedback, you then have to listen to it and see what you can change. And I believe that's important because nobody's perfect. So because I see everyone that works at Sterling Ackroyd is my customer and my team's customer. So, you know, we've got to listen to our feedback and we've got to be able to adapt it where appropriate. And that's worked really well. But we had lots of pockets of things we were doing really well in my first sort of year, 18 months here with the team. But what I then wanted to do is I wanted to get ambitious. I wanted to get bolder. So I put together a package, like I said, the colleague development journey, where we introduced four new initiatives. So I've touched on a couple of them already. So we the uh, new starter induction academy, the three days where we pull people out uh, from the front line after they've been with us for 12 weeks. Three cohorts have been run so far this year. We've got another one at the end of October. That's worked really well. But again, it's had, we've had to have a flexible approach. We started with four days. We've tailed it down to three days and we've changed some of the content. Again, listening to the feedback. The second intervention I introduced was externally recognized qualifications. So I went to our, you know, our basically the property sector's you know, qualification body of choice, which is called Property Mark. And I said to them, look, I want to become an exam centre. I want to put at least 40 colleagues through your qualifications every year in two cohort, cohorts of 20. So managed to negotiate a deal. We're now putting that through. So we January, the first 20 went through. They've now started taking their exams. Some people are almost finishing their exams. We've got another 20 started in July. We've got another 20 starting in January. And people really are appreciating that because it's an industry recognized qualification that we as a company are funding. So we fund, you know, the, the study materials, first year's membership, examinations, qualification, registration. We fund it all. And people are really excited about that because, you know, it's not often you get the opportunity to get a recognized professional qualification and not have to pay a penny for it. Yeah, so, and it's what, I mean, you know, it's something they can take elsewhere, use in their future if yeah. they need to. I mean, hopefully they won't because, you know, you're the guys that invested in them. But at the same time, it's something for them, isn't it? It's like you are literally putting the money into them and saying, we believe in you. 
we think you can do this qualification and uh, yeah, do you have any like criteria around that do you run like an application process for people internally Abs- for it absolutely so anyone who's passed probation and been with us and is doing their job you know we're not you don't have to be you know a five-star top performer you can put your name forward you put your name forward to your regional director or to your divisional director depending on what role you are it's open to anybody in the company. It's not just open to frontline. So I could be a property manager uh, and I could do it. I could be a sales progressor and I could do it. I could be working in our central sales call center team and do it. It's open literally to anyone. Your director talks to you about it. They then pass the nominations to me. I then do a make sense test and then I take them to the board and we get the funding signed off. But literally, you know, the point I'd like to make is it is literally open to anyone within our company to have the opportunity to do this. And it is one of the best qualifications in the property industry to get, whether you're in sales or the letting side of the business. And it will help you in the future, as you said, you know, having those letters after your name, they it gives you that sense of self-confidence that you know what you're talking about. But also when you talk to our clients, when you talk to our customers, when you talk to an applicant, you know, that you, you don't even know it sometimes, but that knowledge you learned a year or two or three years ago, little bits will come through so your credibility and the trust people having it i mean look at the end of the day the property industry and especially some of the sales people within it don't have the best reputation across in the wider public but i work with some people that are so passionate and they really care about what they do and they deliver exceptional customer service so why would we not want to give them that professional qualification that says look i am a professional i do this for a living i do know what i'm talking about and i've worked hard to get it i mean i did it in learning and development, you know, I studied hard and got my CIPD qualification because it does matter. You know, if you want to be seen as professional, you do a professional job. But also, if you do the study that backs it up, you feel you feel like you know what you're talking about, and 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 that is important. Yeah, no, brilliant. That I, I, both of those initiatives sound sound yeah, brilliant, and especially the formal investment in qualification. Yeah, I like that, and I imagine it becomes a bit of a badge of honour as well for those who have gone through it, and you know, to say, okay, I have this, and that will only. I imagine, not to kind of tell the future, but I imagine it will snowball. You know, the more people that get the qualifications, the more interest you're going to get across the organisation, and you'll end up with a incredibly well qualified group of people working for you, which is awesome. And- that can only benefit our clients and customers, but it also benefits the company because at some point, whoever, whatever shade of government we have, there will be a decision to, you know, license or regulate the property industry. It's too big an industry within the United Kingdom worth tens of billions of pounds to not be regulated. And there has been conversations, it's called ROPA, Regulation of Property Agents. There has been talk about this for a number of years. Eventually, one housing minister of whatever shade of political party is in power at the time will decide to act on it and then what you're going to have is you're going to have an industry that's trying to play catch up to get qualified regardless of that down the road at some point why not do it because it's the right thing to do for your people and for your customers and do it now yeah brilliant yeah yeah future proofing is your kind of your most added benefit that i imagine you'll will come into its own at some point but like you say that's not the primary driver behind it at the moment we talked about what's working what are the barriers what challenges have you faced in the last few years around you know learning and development i would say the biggest challenge uh, if we look at digital to start with is the fact that it has a bad reputation i've worked in international banking i've worked in share dealing i've worked in retail i'm now in property and it hasn't changed over all the years i've been in this in learning and development as soon as you say to somebody here's some e-learning most people's hearts sink okay you know i can sit try and sit in an ivory tower and say no ours is the best in the industry it's best in class People don't like sitting in front of a computer learning about, you know, general principles of data regulation or, you know, learning about how to spot, you know, somebody's money is not from the correct source and that it might be they might be trying to launder it and that sort of thing. It doesn't float most people's boats. So the biggest challenge, I think, is trying to have cost effective digital learning, which inspires people to, you know, read the material so they understand and, and know how to apply it in their day job. And that for me is a huge challenge. 
So like I said a, a, a little while ago, we are on a project at the moment where we're trying to take our 11 key compliance modules, which every single person, including myself, including the board of directors, have to do every 12 months and see if we can make that more inspiring, more engaging, whatever that might look like. So and we're working, one of my team is working on that project at the moment. So I would say that's the first biggest challenge. I think the next biggest challenge is, and this is a time old one, I've been in the industry long enough, is how do you hit when you're doing face-to-face training? How do you ensure that the learning objectives which you set out with all the best intentions, collaborative working with stakeholders, understanding what the business needs, understanding what individuals need. So you you create an engaging and beneficial, you know, training package, whether it's digital, whether it's live web, or whether it's, you know, a blendment, a blending of the two, or whether it's face-to-face or whatever it might be. Get the learning objectives. How do you then really know they've been embedded? Yeah. So you can't <laughs> do Yeah, absolutely. The return on investment can do all your surveys that you like to get that initial reaction. That's great, but that dies very quickly. You know, you can test knowledge retention, but as we all know, there's, you know, there's that exponential drop off with knowledge retention. It's about the gold standard is have you changed behavior? Yeah. And and is there a result from that? You know, Kirkpatrick talks about the four levels of return on investment when it comes to a learner experience. And getting that change of behavior, I think, is so key. So one of the ways I'm challenging that is by changing the delivery of, you know, training and getting my team to think about how can we change that delivery? How can we get people to actually try and have some experiential learning? that ties back to what they do in their day job, because that's where, if you can connect the two well, and there's very clear synergy between the two, that's when I think you'll start to see the results. And if you start to see the results, that tends to breed a change in behavior. Because if I find something new's working and I'm getting rewarded recognition for it, I'll probably change my behavior and start doing it that way. So there are plans afoot, but it's a constant challenge. But one thing I always makes me laugh is return on investment is the key thing for learning development because sometimes it's very hard to put your finger on it. But many years ago, I thought to myself, it shouldn't be me that decides what's the return on investment. So I always, when I'm scoping out any new uh, training package, whatever it might be, I get my stakeholder or I get the person, the project lead that's requested the training. I get them to tell me, how do you want me to measure uh, the success of this and the effectiveness? And actually turning it around really benefits because the person that's effectively paying for it, although it's all internal money transfer, if they have to say to you, this is how I'm going to measure success, then that makes my life far easier because then I know what they want and I know how they're going to measure the success. So I can actually tailor the intervention to that end. Whereas if I try and mark my own homework, it's never going to be a true reflection of what's been delivered and nor should it be. I should be held, and I think all of us as professionals should be held to the standard of what the business would be. You know, an operational frontline person, you know, they get measured on, you know, how many houses they've sold or, you know, how many flats they've rented. They get measured on concrete things. Why should learning development be any different? You know, you might measure me against a, a separate rule or a separate measure, but I still should be measured, but it shouldn't be me that sets the measure. It's exactly that. It's not, in a lot of cases, in every single case, the reason you're doing it is to have a business impact, isn't it? So the business impact is the thing we need to measure. And each department will know that far better than we will sitting in learning and development. Even if we've got really good feel and relationships within the business, they're the ones with the pain point that they're trying to solve with a learning intervention. So, you know, what does that look like? What does that pain gone away look like? Is it fewer calls into the customer support center? Is it more sales? Is it, you know, a better kind of quicker turnover in terms of sales or rental properties or whatever it might be? Absolutely. But I, I just, so few people actually ask the business, how do you want to measure success? Yeah. 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 No, that's good. Cause I always, <laughs> in the last series we did, I asked that question a lot, like, how do you measure this? And yeah, it asking, getting other people in the business to set the kind of measurement criteria that that's a really kind of positive way of, of looking at it for sure. And smart as well. Cause you know, we can measure things like impact with surveys or like, I get, you know, we can measure people's opinions quite well with surveys. We can measure activity how many times does someone log in attending a session or that kind of stuff? But like you say, is that really the 
end goal that we're looking for because it, it a lot of those contribute towards the end goal but they're not the end goal they're not the kind of higher sales better staff retention whatever it is they're trying to achieve with it no absolutely not and sometimes you do have to hold hands and you know have to you have to guide about what does that effective implementation look like and how are we measuring it but i definitely think if they set out and if they and if this is right at the start they agree what it's going to look like then i think you get far more buy-in and that roi that return return on investment is so much easier to demonstrate cool Brilliant. So let's let's chat technology quickly. I yes. think you kind of mentioned this earlier. You're moving everyone away from physical PCs to to laptops. Is there any other technology you leverage at the moment for learning? Is it laptops and phones? Is that the kind of big bit the, Pretty the two much, big yes. devices? Yeah. Absolutely. So working with my colleagues in IT, moving to a laptop base was just you know, it was great. I mean, I didn't have to get involved in that. That was a business initiative. But it, what it makes means for me and my team is that it's a far simpler. So if somebody is sick, if somebody can't get in because there's a, a rail strike, I mean, gosh, we've had enough industrial, you <laughs> so know, strikes in and things this year. And it happens or, you know, or there's a work into rule or there's a traffic jam or the car won't start or, you know, there's ice or there's snow on the road. If everybody in your business has got a laptop and they take it home at night, then your business doesn't come to a stop. Okay, you might not be able to do some of your business activities, but there is a lot of things you can do. So I think that's that flexibility is a great that's just for business. It doesn't not not just learning and development. From my point of view, everybody having laptops, though, it means that we can do ad hoc. You know, if, if I had to do a face to face, I mean, recently I had to do I was doing a face to face training session and, you know, four people couldn't get in because of the rail strikes. So back in the day, you might have thought, well, I'm going to have to run a mop up session or you might have thought we cancel. But actually, no. All you do is you just get them on Teams, stick them up on the, on the screen on the in the room, and they're part of the training session. Now, for the trainer, it's a bit more hard work. If you've got a room of nine people and four people on Teams, you have to work that bit harder to with the engagement. You can't because it's easy to just focus on the nine in front of you and not the four that are you know on a screen over there. So you have to work harder, but it is doable. Uh, and that means that you're being more inclusive and also that you're not wasting time. But phones, you know, God, what is it now? It, it used to be 10 years ago, it was 74% of the population had a mobile phone. I think it's now nearer, what is it, 87% or something of the population has got a mobile phone. Yeah, it is. Well and right, it's yeah. a smart mobile as well. So if your learning and development initiative and program doesn't have mobile enabled or mobi mobile adapted learning, then you're missing a trick. So you want to be able, you want them to be able to be on a laptop, be halfway through their, you know, health and safety module. And then, you know, they go off and do a viewing or they go off and do something else and they come back and then they're commuting somewhere. Can they get on the mobile phone and pick up exactly where they stopped on their laptop? It doesn't sound that hard to do, but a lot of platforms can't do it. So, you know, make sure you've got that because that's how people operate. I know with you, Adam, you know, and what you offer with Assemble You, which is the podcasting and that sort of thing, you know, it's a great way. So if people are out walking the dog or they're on the tube or the bus going into work, you know, or they've gone to the gym or something, you know, stick on a podcast. You know, when I go running in the morning, I stick on a podcast when I'm on the, the you know, exercise bike in the garage, I'll put on a podcast. You know, people utilize their time differently nowadays. And what do they say about us now, you know, in the Western world, that we're asset rich and time poor? So if we can tick two boxes at one time, we can do a bit of exercise or walk the dog and listen to a podcast of our choice, you know, or do a bit of learning of our choice, then people will do it because they want to get those boxes ticked so that they can progress with their lives, they can learn, they can adapt, they can get better. So I think harnessing technology, we'd be fools not to. It's not going away. And then that opens the whole can of worms then about when you're talking about fourth generation artificial intelligence and where that's going to take us. And now I'm not I'm not an expert on that subject yet, although I'm attending, you know, I'm, I'm growing my own knowledge on it. But yeah, there's a potential there for, I mean, that could, you know, revolutionize, if I can put my teeth back in, revolutionize <laughs> learning and development. You know, if we can cut down the time it takes to write a module on something because there's a huge database out there that can do it for you. I mean, that's, that could be revolutionary. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely think it's getting closer as well from some of the stuff I've been looking at. I think the the issue around AI is the data pool that it's drawn from at the moment. But as soon as that's corrected and if that is curated and looked at 
in a really meaningful way and only great content is allowed in the top what will come out the bottom will be good quality as well i think the problem with some of the generative models at the moment is everything goes in the top so that what comes out the bottom could be is, is just a is potluck a bit in a lot of cases what do they say in computer programming garbage in garbage out garbage in garbage out exactly that exactly that yeah no so yeah you're, you're right about technology and it, you do you guys provide phones for your workers is that all part of the package or is it bring your own device what's the bring your own device you know we played with the idea of having company phones but actually nowadays with data plans i mean personally my data plan i get like a hundred gigs of data for virtually nothing a month the cost that they used to be with using your own devices is no longer a barrier i don't feel you know when i talk to our younger members of staff who are on the, maybe the, the lower wages and they say nope it's not a problem for me but but it's about how you have that conversation it's about explaining what's in it for them so there's a number of other things and we get them quite used to using their mobile phone. i mean i say get them used to using your mobile phone most people in this country now to use a mobile phone and they live on them i mean i you know i was out this weekend going to various shops and i've, I've stopped using cards i don't carry a wallet anymore i don't carry cards anymore it's all done on my mobile phone but on our mobile phone we have a number of apps to support them so their pay slips come via an app that's free to download they can book their holiday via an app and they can see who else in their team's off so they know that their holiday is likely to get approved we have a you know rewards system where if they're out shopping they can quickly find out if the shop they're at gives them a discount by working for our company not different rewards platforms not different i'm sure most of your companies you deal with have it but they have it on an app so you know if somebody was telling me they were out in a restaurant over the weekend and they just cursorily looked at their phone is this restaurant on my list yes it was they got a 10 percent discount off their bill now that might only be nine pounds for them that but that that adds up over time so if you're looking at your phone for your discounts you're looking at your phone for your price for your uh, payslip you're looking at your phones for your holiday you're looking at your phone to enter in your expenses it's not a big jump to look on your phone and do a bit of training no it's, quite, it's a very natural evolution actually if a lot of your work life is already running through that device it's you're pushing on a bit of an open door i guess especially if you can say right do this compliance training as you're hopping between meetings on the train that type of thing and allow people that you know utilize that dead time like you're talking about with podcasts earlier and appreciate the plug <laughs> i'll buy you a drink <laughs> but, but, but it goes to the conversation adam about you know we have to utilize technology if you don't progress you stay still and actually you don't stay still you actually go backwards so, yes because everyone else overtakes you who is using it properly yeah correct what was that what was the old the old saying if you always do what you've always done you'll always get what you've always got and that's no longer true it's now unless you adapt and evolve you you just won't you'll go backwards and it's yeah yeah you, you've you'll got actually to you'll actually lose won't you yeah. yeah fantastic so we're out of time so we have one last question which is what is your top tip for anyone going into learning and development with a frontline workforce so I knew, I thought you were going to put me down to one. I actually thought about this. Got? I've got three. <laughs> you got three. We'll the rule allow, of three. We'll allow three. Order them though. I want top one to three. Okay. <laughs> What's so, top one? and I've touched on these already. So I'm hopefully I'm coming across as consistent. My top one would be feedback. Get feedback from your stakeholders, feedback from your users, feedback from your internal customers, run focus groups, do surveys, speak to people. I know it's old fashioned, but actually talk to your, your customers because without that feedback, you could be just sailing in the dark uh, with no map, no stars, no moon, nothing. Actually talk to the people who you are serving and who are your customers because they'll tell you, you can anonymize surveys, you can change how you do them you can you know track and benchmark but talk to people they will give you the answers especially if you make it in a no blame culture where nothing is bad and actually feedback is good because you're not going to hurt my feelings you're not going to hurt my team's feelings if we've got something wrong we've got something wrong that's on us it's not on you the learner number two stakeholder engagement the business if we don't get that right from the start, right from project scoping, right from the, you know, the genesis of any learning development project, you, you, we talked about earlier about pushing against an open door. You start to push against a closed door because at the end of the day, the business is there to generate the money to keep the business going and pay people's wages and pay the bills. I'm a bill. I'm a cost. My team is a cost. So I need them on board because if people come on training, 
that has expenses, it has time out of the business, which has an impact on the bottom line. So that stakeholder engagement for me is critical, but it's, it, and it's easy to get and very quick to lose. So you have to make sure that everything you do to a high standard. And then my third is flexibility of approach. So, you know, I can remember in my junior days where, you know, somebody would run a training session. It would be done on this date, this time in this location. And, you know, if you couldn't make it tough or if you couldn't, if you were working abroad on a business trip, there was no flexibility. So for me, it's about varying delivery methods, varying delivery locations. You know, if I, it's easy for me to go into our London Bridge office and deliver a training session to 15, 20 people that work within, you know, an eight minute tube journey. Why should I be the sort of person that says, no, hold on, it's, it's easier for me to get to X office, you come to me. That's just yeah. crazy. So flexibility approach, but also that, so that's not just local delivery, it's, it's changing times of day, because do you know what? Flexibility, now, you know, legally enshrined that people can do flexible working requests and they can put that in almost from day one. So why should training always be done at nine or 9.30? Or why should it always be done at 12? Why can't we vary that so that you make sure that the people that have to drop children off can still attend the training or the people that have to go and pick you know, children up, they can attend the training. So know your audience, be able to think about where are they in terms of their business schedules, their priorities, their life outside of work, what times work for them, how easy is it to travel? So whenever I do a large, and when I say large, I'm talking about multiple different divisions and multiple people, yeah. I always think about where is the best place to hold this? Should, where's the, what's the best times to be doing this? What's going to have the least, least, least impact on the business and least impact on the individual? So that's what I talk about when I talk about flexibility of approach, because that way you'll get more buy-in. So if I'm, a, if I'm somebody that knows I've got to get away at a set time to pick my child up from school, do you really think for the last half hour as that clock gets nearer to that time I need to leave, I'm engaged in that session? No, you're just hoping it finishes on time, aren't you? Yeah. You can get out. And I guess this is what, that's where the digital thing comes in as well that you mentioned earlier, you know, because if you're running an in-person session, having a digital option for people to dial in and consume it that way as well. For those that are abroad or are out the business other side of the country or something that day that or can't get into work for whatever reason to yeah. to make it work for them. If, you, if we're going to talk about bringing your whole self to work, which is, you know, we've talked about this for, you know, five, six, ten years in, within learning development and within management culture, then actually we need to mean it and we need to be truly inclusive. Yeah. And, and how people, are, yeah, and enable people to, to be themselves basically as well, instead yeah. of uh, forcing them into the, the template that we have. Because one size definitely doesn't fit all. Yeah, brilliant. Cool. That is a fantastic note to end on. Stephen, thank you so much for joining us and sharing your insight today. It's been genuinely interesting and it's amazing to hear all the awesome work that you and the team are, are doing at Sterling Ackroyd. Thank you very much, Adam. I've enjoyed it. Great. Cool. So that's all for today. Thanks everybody for listening. We'll be back soon with another episode from the Learning and Development Challenges. See you then. This podcast is brought to you by AssembleU, the audio learning experts. Adam here, co-founder of AssembleU. We launched AssembleU in 2022 after finding we were doing a lot of our own personal development using podcasts and audiobooks. We loved audio as a format and wanted to combine the convenience of listening to something with outcome-driven learning that had a real impact. The result is a power skills library of more than 130 succinct audio lessons that do the heavy lifting for the listener. AssembleU lessons help coach listeners through critical topics like leadership, mental health, well-being, productivity, growth, sustainability, and communication. Each AssembleU audio lesson is around 10 minutes long and backed by research and real-life expertise. Every lesson includes a key point infographic, a further reading list, and testing. Listen to some free samples or find out more about how AssembleU can support your organization to build an internal podcast for learning by visiting assembleu.com.